0: what is that
1: welcome back everyone you're listening to what is that a podcast where we introduce you to animals you may have never heard of or simply shed some new light on familiar faces
0: we're your hosts katie and danielle it's a new year new you new topic Today, we are doing our first installment exploring the wonders of metamorphosis. metamorphosis. Each January, we'll be breaking down the life history involved in one of the many types of metamorphosis. Because guess what? There's four of them.
1: Our focus on today's episode is complete or homometabolous metamorphosis. Without further ado, let's get buggy.
0: All right, Katie. Pack your bags, bring your layers, we are off to a fog desert to learn more about my metamorphosis creature. This is considered a coastal desert, and it's known as one of the world's oldest deserts that's lasted over 55 million years. Deserts can form in many different ways, we won't go into too much details, but this specific kind of fog desert gets help from a very cold ocean current off its coast known as the Bengala Current. And this cold, cold water hits the warm air, creating fog. We are off to the Namibia Desert. The Namibia Desert is listed as a natural world heritage site due to the abundant amount of beauty, and biological value it provides. There's over 300 animals species that exist in the Namib desert. Over half of these do not exist anywhere else in the world. And vocabulary time that is considered to be endemic. So there are over 150 different endemic species to the Namib desert. The environment is highly dry. You have shifting sands, these massive sand dunes that might be in one place one day and roll into another place the next due to the winds. You have gravel plains, rocky mountains, barren of surface water, yet split in half with so many dry riverbeds. And now you're thinking, wow, this is a very dry desert. The fog plays a very important role in the Nimbib Desert. It's kind of like a, the lifeblood. Most of the animals in plant life rely on this fog to survive the thick fog is common along the coast of the namib desert giving enough moisture for my little insect friend i'm excited to introduce you to meet the namib desert beetle or fog basking beetle or a type of darkling beetle or a talkie beetle with over 200 species found in the nation of namibia 20 of which are found in the namib desert alone they can grow up to about two centimeters in length, so about an inch. So if you hold out your hand, it's going to be about the size of a large blueberry in your palm. They're going to be all black with long spindly legs, particularly their two back legs are going to be much longer than their other forelegs. legs. This beetle will use those lengthy back legs to stand on these tiny sand ridges to collect water and it collects water by tilting its body up so it pushes up on those long back legs <clears throat> to create a 45 degree angle to collect fog droplets as they go by. If you do yoga imagine pushing yourself <laughs> up into downward facing dog that's what these beetles do lining up on the sand dune ridges.
1: That's amazing they're like little
0: succulents. Yes they are they're little living succu- Well, yeah I guess succulents are living yes they're the <laughs> succulents of the insect world. <laughs> Another name for them. <laughs> there were, quick side note, there were so many names to this beetle. During research, became very difficult because I wanted to make sure I was researching the correct beetle at the mm-hmm. correct time. There's a few moments where I was going down one rabbit hole and I was like, oh, this is the wrong beetle. <laughs> As mentioned, it's in Downward Facing Dog to collect those little fog droplets. So it's like, how does the fog droplets even stick to the wings? Well, it collects the water on its hard, rough outer wings that are stretched against the breeze. So it's always facing into the wind. And their outer wings are actually hydrophilic. Not hydrophobic, hydrophilic, meaning they attract water and keep the water droplets from blowing away off of their bodies. When the droplets collect and they get too heavy to carry, they roll down towards the beetle's mouth, following the angle the insect is facing. Hence, the fog-basking beetle as another name. (laughs) I really wanted to break into the specifics of how it's able to collect its water in this unusual way Mm -hmm. because we're going to be coming back to that later on and kind of the main inspiration of why I picked this insect. Their diet, uh, they are considered detritivores. Detritivores are... Insects or other living things that consume dead organic material. Maybe a dead plant. The wind will often carry in dead plant material, and this is what the Namib beetle will feast on. They can drink up to forty percent of their body mass in one morning. Wow. It's very impressive. These beetles are a really important source of water for other critters that live in the desert. So they have a lot of predators. Some examples of these predators can be the Namib dune gecko, the cartwheeling spider. I just wanted to like see your face when I said that. Could you imagine? Nightmare. You still love cartwheels. (laughs) That time's over. (laughs) The Namak chameleon and the Fitzsimmons burrowing skink. There are so many cool animals in this desert. (laughs) Now I want to take you through the Namib desert beetle's life cycle and dive more into its metamorphic process that it goes through. It follows the traditional beetle's life cycle, which is divided into four stages. So you have your egg, your larva, your pupa, and your adult. So it begins when a lady beetle will lay white or yellowish colored eggs in either dead plant material or animal droppings, anything that will, when these little larvae hatch, will have a food source to consume. The egg incubates for four to seven days, pretty quick. The larvae form can last anywhere from three to seven weeks. and At this time, they're consuming any kind of dead material or animal droppings. And they're eating like crazy. They then enter this pupil form. And that's, if you're familiar with butterflies and moths, they kind of create this cocoon. And this is where the larvae, completely develop into something different. It does not move. It does not eat. While the larva is in the pupa undergoing a complete transformation and essentially rearranging the innards is one way to think about it. This pupa form lasts 7 to 11 days. After pupating or hatching out of this like cocoon-like state, a fully formed adult beetle emerges, ready to eat, mate, and cruise around the desert landscape, collecting that fog. The adult form can last up to two years if it doesn't get munched on before then. It is this type of metamorphosis, complete metamorphosis, and the way it collects fog that inspired me to pick this animal for our beginning of this series due to the amazing innovation research being performed When I look ahead to a new year, I feel most creative and inspired at this time to try something new or be inspired by something around me to create something new. Scientists are using biomimicry to create some amazing innovations right now due to their inspiration of observing the Namib Desert beetle collect fog and harvest water. So they're trying to learn this insect's secrets to help provide clean water to communities in water-stressed areas. They're wanting to better understand the texture of these wings and how it's able to get water to stick to them. And they're hoping through this inspiration that they can invent something that will be able to collect water in areas where drought is very prevalent, or perhaps communities don't have readily available access to clean water. The combined act of raising its rear to increase contact with the air as well as this textured surface to basically help enhance water condensation and harvest water, engineers are trying to develop a tent system for refugees that could gather water droplets from the wind if researchers can manage these type of textures and material. This will be able to help people get access to clean water that you wouldn't think of. So essentially you could bring this tent material and wherever there's fog or precipitation in the air, it could help collect the clean water and roll down for people to use for drinking, cooking, bathing. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's one really cool thing I like about biomimicry. Biomimicry essentially is when scientists, reach researchers, try to invent something new or inspired to uh, invent or solve a problem. And they are inspired by something that already exists in nature. So nature's already doing it. It's pretty cool. Now where we are in the West, we deal with drought and water conservation as an everyday. And it feels more apparent this year and last year that this type of drought is seen being seen in so many other places of the world that you wouldn't expect like the Midwest and Europe. My inspiration for this year is and for right now by this beetle is ways to reduce water consumption. So I just come up with a short little list just easy ways to get started and start being more conscious about the amount of water that we use. So one of those things is just reducing your shower time by a little bit. Turning off faucets when you're not using them. I I have seen a family member. They just leave that faucet blasting while they're brushing their teeth or doing dishes. (laughs) If you have a lawn, maybe consider repurposing your lawn and make it more drought tolerant. I think the era of the green lawn is over it's 2020 people, not the 1950s, um, consider upgrading your faucets. So water saving toilets, shower heads, checking for leaks. Not only are you helping conserve water, but you're helping save some money on your water bill. And that is the other thing to be inspired by, helping conserve water and save some money at the same time. So with that, Katie, that is my beginning new year metamorphosis inspirational (laughs) Uh, Namib Desert Beetle. You
1: were very inspiring today. I definitely went a completely different direction. I do love the takeaway to not be afraid to call out your family members. (laughs) (laughs) One must do it with love. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, it's good because everybody, you know, grew up differently and has their own, um, you know, ideas of how things should be done. I love, I've, live in a place right now where i have a very very small shower so i i feel really good about my shower practices right now because i literally can't get away from the water so i have to turn it off in between everything i do in there <laughs> that's
0: a fun way uh just design a really small shower to make it impractical for you so you're forced to turn the water off. <laughs> just doing my part <laughs> well i think where i grew up Drought wasn't in our vocabulary. Where I grew up, you know, we had lakes and rivers and tons of rain and snow. And now that I live in a very different part uh, where drought is becoming more prevalent, our rainy season is getting shorter, um, you become very conscious about the impacts of not conserving water. So, Katie, that is the Namib desert beetle. I always get excited to see what animal you pick and also I find it really interesting that you and I talk about such different things with our critters.
1: <laughs> no, I really love. I felt completely transported to that Namibian desert. I love the way that you described it. I felt like I was there watching the sun rise up over the mountains and just watching that little beetle butt in the air collecting fog water. (laughs) Uh, I think it's really interesting that that landscape is now so dry, but was created by rivers, describing Mm -hmm. it as having those dry riverbeds and just that, you know, that desert's one of the oldest deserts been around for 55 million years. So just the way that you know, the earth does go through these changes and, uh, you know, the the where the water is and where the deserts are kind of shifts around.
0: And how we, you know, especially with the beetle and other animals there, they've adapted and become resilient to these different types of environmental pressures and stressors. It's pretty neat. It's definitely a place I would love to see one day. We always complement each other with our animals so
1: uh instead of being from one very specific place my animal is kind of found all over the world
0: (laughs) it's popular
1: it is called the scorpion fly whoa i've never heard of that before i hadn't either i was attracted by the name it has no other nicknames that i could find but I mean, why would it? Do you need another name when you have a name like Scorpion Fly?
0: Absolutely not. It already sounds like a superpower, super villain.
1: <laughs> so the Scorpion Fly is of the order Mycoptera. And uh, uh, we discussed this earlier, but I kind of got down a, a tangent, rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it, of entomology, which is basically the, the study of the origin of words. And uh, so miko means long or length, and terra, which is the suffix to a lot of the orders of these bugs, to be a wonder or a monster. So wow! I just love how these scientists can kind of interject their opinions of these animals really subtly by using these Latin origins.
0: Exactly. And <laughs> almost makes me feel like when I hear that name, it reminds me of something you'd see out of like or read out of the odyssey or some old greek (laughs) mythology monster
1: right so there's somewhere around 800 species of these guys found all over the world it's hard to generalize about it kind of got some some general things in the different areas and then i'll just kind of pinpoint some unique interesting things that i found too i'll describe them Again, pretty general. It can be from about a half of a centimeter to five centimeters in wingspan. That was the largest that can be found. And the order itself kinda had these unique characteristics for it. So I'll use those because it is just a little a little insect. It's a little bug. It looks it gets mistaken for mosquitoes or crane flies all the time. It kind of has this rusty colored body. But the wings, there's four pretty much clear, thin wings that can be that have black bands on them or have little spots. A head to tail, the head has a beak-like projection off of it with a mandibulate mouth parts on the end, which is pretty much those pincer-like tools used for eating. I always think about the giant ant from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yes! (laughs) That is what the mandibles are. That's what those big honking uh, pincer-like things are on those. If you haven't
0: ever heard (laughs) or seen that movie, you have homework.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Excellent movie.
1: Off of the head are two long filamentous or thread-like antennae. And then the body is thin and long- just that, Miko. And with the males, it ends in a bulbous genital structure that they can carry in a recurved position over their backs like a...
0: Scorpion? Nailed it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's the name. This name was... It was named very well. Right. Very Hearing spot Hearing it on. and now your description.
1: <laughs> like I said, location-wise, uh, it's pretty much cool, moist habitats. They're found by waterways. They can be mountainous or coastal, humid, temperate, and subtropical places. So like I said, all over the world. Yeah, they're (laughs) kind of prepared for any type of ecosystem. A chunk of the research that I found was based in Australia. So there's that as an example. It also sounds like they're not very common anywhere in particular. And therefore, which is good, they're not considered pests. So just living their best lives in cohesion with the world around them. I was unable to get very clear information on the lifespan of these guys, but it kind of seems like they're somewhere between a half year and a year, depending on if they're a a single or double generation species. We'll get into this more later, but the the ones living in the colder climates are more once a year and the warmer climates are twice a year. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Metabolism, blah, blah, blah. Reproduction. How do they do it? What makes these critters (laughs) so successful to be found all over the world? (laughs) As usual, the secret is in the earth. To make new scorpion flylings, not an actual term, the male scorpion fly either kills or scavenges a bug, an arthropod to be specific, and then releases a pheromone while standing next to the dead bug. Then the potential female smelling that pheromone comes buzzing over, starts eating, and that's when he jumps on her. <gasps> and boom, copulation. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Another way that this is done is by something called forced copulation, where the male simply chases down the female and mates. But, and I love that this was studied in this little tiny fly bug weirdly enough weirdly enough the females do not prefer this forced copulation method it happens far less frequently than the food method and the females actually lay less eggs
0: oh wow i know interesting, interesting. Yeah, take mm-hmm. notes people
1: <laughs> all right now that the mating is over with the cycle can begin having complete Or again, homo metabolis metamorphosis. The scorpion fly goes through four stages of life. That's the complete metamorphosis. First, stage one, the females lay their eggs. They either lay them in moss or drop them while hanging from vegetation. Depending on if it's a cool climate or a warm climate, the egg stage may last as few as five to 10 days or up to many months if it's going to
0: overwinter as an egg. Oh, interesting. So the colder months, they stash away, not hibernate, but basically in this waiting period until it warms up.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what it sounded like. Mm-hmm. So fun fact about scorpion fly eggs is that they actually grow, the egg expands with the embryo. So sometimes as much as 100% from its original size, it will be 100% bigger before hatching. All right, stage two, the hatching. The eggs are hatched and the larvae emerge. They look similar to caterpillars, but they have well-developed mandibles and well-developed compound eyes they spend their time scavenging dead and decaying bugs some vegetation they're essentially little compost machines like fungi (laughs) yay (laughs) fun facts here that there are some aquatic species of larvae and some completely herbivorous ones with this many species found in this many places it's pretty unsurprising that unique adaptations have developed All right, the larvae will go through four instars or growth stages between molts before beginning to pupate. The pre pupal stage, again, could take anywhere from a month to many months, depending on how many generations are produced in a year. And then we have the pupa, stage three. The pupas live in little soil burrows excavated by the larvae for 10 to 50 days before emerging as adults. The adults uh, feed upon nectar, pollen, fruit, mosses, and some species even scavenge on bugs caught in spiders' webs. Whoa. I know. Talk about brazen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I know. Spiders probably like, come on.
1: Come on. Well, that's the thing. Apparently, they can kind of crawl around on spider webs without getting caught in them not that it doesn't happen i'm sure it does occasionally Mm -hmm. but i don't know one wrong step
0: one wrong move
1: (laughs) there we go folks the scorpion fly sounds just exhausting to have to go through so many life stages and physical changes i thought we had a tough with those those growing pains those cramps in middle school you know (laughs)
0: Could you imagine his poor larvae? (laughs) Even the egg is growing. That was what was most surprising to me. So the egg has these growing phases. The larvae has these growing phases. And I imagine developing these wings, it's going through quite a transformation in that pupae as well. One of the things I read about the pupal stage
1: is that some of these guys are Unusual, in that their uh, legs actually stick out from the <laughs> So it's just the legs sticking out and then they're all, but they're in the soil. I don't know. Again, I'm just like so impressed that these creatures have been studied to this extent.
0: It's like a kid who's overgrown. They're <laughs> like too small of a bed and legs are just sticking straight out <laughs> from under the covers.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for listening. That's all for today in this New Year, we wanted to give a shout out to our growing listening population. It is so inspiring to know that others are enjoying this as much as
0: we are. On that thread, we thought it'd be fun to do an episode involving our faithful followers. So if you have any burning unique animal questions, please send them in through our email at whatisthatapodcast@gmail.com. At Again, send your questions to whatisthatapodcast@gmail.com.
1: Well, thank you so much again, and we'll see you next month when we explore what love means to some peculiar creatures. Bye-bye. What is that? Is a podcast The Brainchild of Danielle
0: championed along strongly by Katie. The podcast is edited by me and Naveed, who has been adding those punchy noise effects for Glittery glam. Naveed is also the creator of the intro theme and is our producer. If you just can't get enough or would like some more visual context for what we talk about here, please visit us on Instagram at What Is That, a podcast where we post all the photos of the unique and interesting characters and critters we talk about. And
1: as always, thank you to our faithful listeners that have been here from the beginning and the freshies just starting to dip their toes into our weird world of wildlife we are certainly always enjoying ourselves learning and loving new creatures and we hope you take away a weird fact or two to dish out at your next get together or gala as well
0: bye-bye